Today I'm talking with Jared Rennie, founder and CEO of Noble Coffee in Ashland. This episode was really fun to record and especially exciting to me because Noble is where I first developed my love for coffee. Noble is an absolute gem in Ashland, the most awarded coffee in the USA. They also have excellent pastries and a warm, kind atmosphere. Jared has a great story and was a pleasure to talk to. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did recording it. Let's kick things off. That's it. Uh, could you give me the origin stories of, uh, or the origin story sure. of Noble? I'll give you kind of the basics and then you can ask questions. We'll sure. fill in the gaps. Yeah. So um, I was a coffee roaster and a barista in college. Okay. So basically graduated from high school, um, had, I, I lived just outside of Jacksonville, had a series of, I worked at like Gary West uh, beef jerky and um, anyway, a bunch of different jobs in Jacksonville and Medford. Sure. Um, and you know, even I worked in the mall, uh, back in the like late, let's see what it would have been late eighties, early nineties back, like when espresso was just being introduced to the world kind yeah, of. Yeah. So I worked at a, a yogurt shop called the yogurt grove and, and remember getting an espresso machine there yeah. and the owners being like, okay, there's like basically no training, just like do this and do that. Yeah. We're calling that a cappuccino and it's, you know, whatever it is, three bucks or something. Yep. And I was like, God, this feels wrong. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm so, I'm pretty sure it tastes awful yeah. and I'm serving it to people, but because it was new and sounded cool and exotic, people were into it anyway. So fast forward to like, uh, 94, I'm I graduate from high school. Um, that summer I got a job, uh, as a barista and a coffee roaster and just like really started to fall in love with it. Yeah. Um, and did that throughout college. Um, that was basically my college thing was coffee. So cool. My freshman year at SOU, my first research paper was on the history of coffee. No so way. I was like, I was, yeah, you're, totally you're bit, in deep. bitten. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, in real deep, real That's fast. Great. So, um, and just like with that, like, holy moly, what what a cool industry and, and history of this product, right? Yeah. It's It's like, you think it's this simple thing that we consume. It has such a rich international history, um, political history. Um, it's just, it's the best. So, but I was like, okay, this is my college thing. I'm going to become a teacher. That's going to be my real job. So I spent a year in uh, Ashland's sister city, Guanajuato, okay. um, studying there. And um, I had been like a business psychology double major. That's what I thought I was going to do. And then when I went to Mexico, I was like, oh man, this is incredible. I studied Italian and French while I was there and, and all kinds of philosophy and everything and got really into it and um and decided i wanted to become a, a spanish teacher and so i so i went that route i got my masters at sou and taught mostly at south medford high school a little bit at north medford um and but pretty much right away started missing coffee yep. and uh, missing service um and missing the the craft of both roasting and also ma uh, making drinks and um and so I started playing around at home with a home espresso machine so cool. and a home 
coffee roaster. Yeah. And this is around the year 2000 when the internet just started going in terms of forums for like yes. these little like subgroups of geeky people oh, yeah. who are getting really into whether it was beer brewing. Yeah. So there was this, uh, there was a website called coffeegeek.com, which oh, still great. exists. That's great. And you had all these people at home, you know, previous to that, Southern Oregon was kind of isolated. We like you know, unless you go to Portland or to San Francisco, you don't have access to too much information. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, we really didn't, there wasn't a lot of great coffee here. There was, there was coffee, but it wasn't, it wasn't very advanced. And so you would uh, credit the internet for that kind of progression, right? I, well, so there were people in certain places who had, you know, engineering backgrounds, for example, who were, who were playing around with coffee. Um, so there was a guy in uh, Seattle, for example, named David Schomer, who uh, has a shop, had a shop, I think it's still there, called Vivachi. And he's this, like, again, super analytical uh, engineer type who happened to have a coffee shop and had just incredible coffee compared to everybody else. Yeah. But... Because he just tweaked all the variables and got... Correct. Yeah, he was right. very scientific about it. And, yeah. and very few people were treating coffee that way at the time. But people, because again, you have these people all over the U.S. who are now starting to talk to each other about the experiments that they're doing at home with the variables, that that information starts to, you know, disseminate. And all of a sudden, you have a lot of people at home who are making incredible coffee, far better coffee than they can get anywhere commercially. And so that was starting to happen. I was like, oh, the coffee that I'm making, like, I think it's pretty good, but then who cares what I think? When I serve it to my friends and family, they're kind of blown away and like, oh man, I I can't get anything like this anywhere else. Can I come over again? Totally. Right. And so even I'm teaching at the time, but also like, huh, you know, this, this little, it's a passion side hobby, total, total, total hobby. Yeah. And I really didn't think about it. And I thought like, okay, maybe someday when I retire from teaching, well, a few years into teaching, I had gotten to a point where I was pretty proficient, um, definitely not perfect. And I could have learned a lot more, but I was, I was only a few years in and like, oh no, if I'm 90 to 95% of the way there and I have 30 years to go, yeah. I'm going to get bored pretty quick. Here. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. So I, and no, you know, denigration to teaching it's, no. it's the best. And I, I miss aspects of it for sure. But, yeah. um, but I started looking around and like, okay, what could I do where I probably won't get bored? And, you know, coffee, again, it's, it's this really wonderful kind of passion project that I had going, but also the industry is so interesting in terms of, you know, you can dedicate yourself to learning how to roast coffee for a decade and not get to the bottom of it. That's crazy. You can dedicate yourself to sourcing green coffee for a decade and not get to the bottom of yeah, it. You yeah. You know, um, espresso. Those are the best types of passions though. Oh, yeah. espresso technology, like yeah. the, just the machine, just the grinder, um, just marketing. Yeah. Right. I mean, any aspect of the business you could literally, you know, dedicate a decade to and, yeah. and still not perfect it. And so that really appealed to me about the industry. I'm never going to get bored of this. Um, and plus the people in the, especially doing high end coffee. Um, I was just in Guatemala a couple of weeks ago and, and I was talking to these other coffee people and we were talking about how people that do this, there's just, they're quirky. They're like people in the high end coffee industry are weird. Oh yeah, for sure. And, uh, and we all kind of love that about each other. And, uh, 
And so that was interesting for me too. Like these are the kind of people that I enjoy spending time with. Right. Well, I think the the quirkiest people are some of the most interesting people. It's just like that means that you have something, you know, that makes you very something's unique. a little off or <laughs> yeah. something. Yeah. 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 Hundred percent. Yeah. Well. Yeah. And it's just it's 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 more interesting somehow. So what was the kind of catalyst to um to actually s- starting the business? So I. Literally for years, I would drive around and look at places in in Ashland. Nobody was roasting coffee in Ashland at the time, which for me was just like, this makes absolutely no sense. Ashland's such a place that appreciates craft. It appreciates high quality food food products that are are ideally, you know, um, produced sustainably. Yep. And... um, and nobody was doing it. And so there was part of me that was like, oh, like there's this niche in the market that's not being filled and I think I could do it. But then, you know, I had two little kids at the time, uh, you know, like a one-year-old and a three-year-old. I had, you know, student debt, you know, like to be a Spanish teacher, right? Like that's what you said you're going to (laughs) do. So do it. And, uh, and so I, you know, yeah, I, I for years I basically said like you're not allowed to think about this <laughs> right now. Like your job is to like you know raise your family and, sure. and go to work yep. and and do your job. And uh, but I just I it, there was something that just kept like it it really did feel to some extent like like some sort of compulsion or inspiration. Like I'm we're not letting you go on this. This is something that you're destined to do. So. So get after it Kept and nagging you. It totally did. Just like gnawing at the back of my brain. Like yeah. it's time, it's time to get after it. And yeah. so I bought, I kind of did it as an experiment. So the, this is now 2006, 2007 school year. Yep. Um, the beginning of the school year, I go back, I'm determined, like, I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to make myself be a teacher. Yeah. I go back <laughs> for the, like, um, the orientation yeah. where you go back and all the teachers are there and they're trying to do a pep talk to the district, which is great. But I was just like, I, my heart isn't 100% here. I'm, yeah. I am here and I'm going to do my best, but there's something that's pulling me. And so that September of 2006, I, I start getting into it. So I'm like, I'm going to go for it. I'm pulling the trigger. I'm going to get a, you know, a second mortgage. Yep. I'm going to buy a commercial coffee roaster. I'm going to install it in my garage. That's amazing. Uh, I'm going to create a brand. We're going to start roasting coffee and selling coffee. And if it doesn't go anywhere, yeah. then I blew, you know, whatever it would have been, 20, $25,000 or $30,000. Know, I, I basically was like, if, if we go bankrupt, I was 30 at the time. Yeah. If we go bankrupt, I'm young enough that I can recover from this. Yep. It's not a big enough thing that's going to ruin me forever. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. So, so, and also, this is a big one. As a teacher, I really told my students to follow their dreams. Yeah. So you're like, I better do this to prove like, to them that I can do not it. Not even to prove it, but like, <laughs> I'm just, I'm going to be the biggest hypocrite yeah. if I don't. And I really thought that for my own sons. Like if my sons who are, again, they were one and three at the time. If my sons were to come to me and say, Hey dad, I got this thing. It's like, I feel like I can't let it go. You know, what, what would I tell them? Yeah, totally. And the answer is like, oh man, you got to follow that. Right. Yeah. So then, so then if that is going to be what I'm going to tell them, then I sure as heck better do it myself. So, um, that's great. So yeah. So that was again, 2006, 2007, I, I taught full time that year and I would, um, I would send out an email on like Monday or Tuesday to all the people that were on our list 
and let them know what the coffees were for that week. We would take orders and then I would get home on Thursday afternoon. I would roast all the coffee, package all the coffee. And we had some really great business partners. My, my wife at the time, um, Carolyn, super, super supportive. Wouldn't have started the company without her. Um, a couple of really wonderful people uh, in the community, Steve and Kelly Sachs, and we would all package all the coffee. It was all by hand, like which we still do. We still package everything by hand, but yeah. we were writing like the name of the oh, coffee, yeah. writing the roast date on the package. <laughs> it was yeah, packaging it on my ping pong table. Oh, that's great. Um, and then get up on Friday morning before teaching and run around. And we offered it in both Talent and, and Ashland. Oh, I would wow. run around and drop off packages of coffee in the morning for ind individuals or for businesses individuals mostly we okay. started yeah it was at the very beginning it was just individuals yeah and then within a couple of uh, months we started doing wholesale as well S yeah so that was um yeah uh, yeah that would be friday morning very very early and then i would go teach yeah on on friday <laughs> that's an exhausting so that schedule. was that was that school year yeah Jeez. and again little kids at the time oh man yeah. uh, oh my gosh so it was that's crazy it was nuts but it was an experiment to see like am i delusional yeah right because if i'm delusional that's it'd be good to know soon yeah absolutely and uh the only way to test is by actually doing it sadly. that's right and yeah. do, do people actually care whether, right. whether or not i'm doing this was there um at that point uh, a hunger for high-end coffee in the valley or was it so new to everyone that uh they were like you know what is this there was it, it was pretty new yeah um it was pretty new so right about the same time we got going the mix opened okay and yeah. they had Stumptown, yep. and so that gave people somewhat of an introduction as well yeah um but it was still yeah nobody nobody knew about high-end coffee Stumptown was probably pretty new at that point too right Stumptown was yeah i mean they had been in it for certainly a few years yeah but they weren't anywhere near to what they are now yeah yeah no they're yeah. huge yeah well i think they're owned by pete's now they sure are yeah that's right yeah, yeah. which is owned by jab holdings which is i mean this oh, like, yeah. it's this huge no know. they they own like intelligentsia pete's and uh and uh at several others it's and ridiculous. then jab holdings owns that and Krispy Kreme and Panera oh, no way. and Green Mountain Coffee and Keurig. That's and ridiculous. yeah, I mean, it's just it's like, ridiculous. it's this huge portfolio yeah. where, yeah, you have this, this, this brand in some town and Pete's, or, well, Pete's, but also Intelligentsia. Yeah. You know, when we first got going, you know, I, I knew those guys and they weren't huge yet. They were, they were like getting bigger. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the industry has over the past, you know, whatever, call it 15 or, or not quite 20 years. And I have the interestingly, when I was about to start in the early 2000s, I thought it, that it was already saturated. One of the reasons Funny. that I didn't jump in right away is yeah. because I thought like, oh, this may have already peaked. Yeah. And maybe I shouldn't. That's hilarious. Get going. But I mean, that's the fear of like any entrepreneur, I feel totally. like. Because you, how do you know until you try it? You don't have any idea. Yeah. And, and you don't know if you are at the tail end of something, if you're at the middle, if you're at the beginning. Totally. And one thing that's so great, I was just telling this to one of our, our recent hires the other day. The cool thing about high-end coffee right now, um, and has been the case, is it's actually a pretty new thing. Like. Starbucks is actually pretty new. Yeah. You know, in the grand scheme of things, 100%. It's pretty new. And yeah. Starbucks introduced everybody to high end coffee or to at least like what a latte is. Yeah. You know, and well, like, before that was basically Folgers, right? Like, 
it's so it, it it's even a totally different type of bean. That's right. Right. That's right. Yeah. So U-Ban and all that stuff. It's is, crazy. It was the norm until you know until Pete's came in, and then and then off of Pete's comes Starbucks. Okay. Yeah. And then off of Starbucks comes kind of everything else. So was there not um, where where in the world did the I, I, sorry, it's Arabica or uh, Robusta, which, uh-huh. which one is which? Uh, Arabica is the good one. Okay, Arabica is the good one. Yeah. Where, where did that, where was that prominent before it came to America? All this starts in Africa. Okay. And, and Arabica, you know, basically Ethiopia. Okay. So, yeah, Ethiopian coffee, that is where coffee comes from. It's also interestingly where humans come from, right? So <laughs> homo, homo sapiens and coffee, we've been working hand in hand for a real long time. Well, it makes sense why we love it so much. And why, <laughs> wherever we go, we take it with us. Yeah, yep. it's crazy. Yep. Oh, man. So what was the process like to um, learn the skill of roasting? And, and ha- yeah, like how did that happen? Well, so you can, ro- I mean, roasting is a very simple process, just like, um, sauteing onions is is as complex as you want to make it be right so you're just you're taking a a raw agricultural product you're adding heat to it and that creates chemical you know right uh uh, reactions reactions that 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 make a different product sure right so you you don't typically want to just bite into an onion (laughs) right but if you saute it it all of a sudden caramelizes and it becomes right really nice yeah or you can heat it up too fast and rather than caramelizing, you're carbonizing and then it's not so great. I mean, yep. there's, so it's kind of the same thing with coffee. Coffee can, can be, anybody can get green coffee beans, put them on, put them in a, in a pan on the top of your stove top yeah. and you can make them brown and that's roasted coffee. Makes sense. But <laughs> you can really get into the chemical reactions that are happening at different stages um, and depending on what coffees you're roasting from what regions. Yeah. And on and on and on. Yeah, and get you super can, technical. You can get super technical and super into it. Right. And that's really what we've done as a company um, is we really look at ourselves as um, as students. Sure. Um, and observers. And we try to <laughs> gain some sort of insight. Yeah. Um, and I, like what's kind of interesting about the this industry this industry to the people that i know mm-hmm. who are at the top of the top of the top yeah they know that they have no clue what's going on that's crazy so yeah. we it's are more of an art than a science still it's both okay but we say it noble at least um yeah uh science plus art equals magic yep like you like you that. have to have both yeah you you get the science but then you have to you know use the database of the experience that you have sure. to create your own intuition yeah and then you have to use your own intuition to kind of like get flowy with it. Well, because there's so many variables with every, I'm sure every bean has a slightly different profile on how you would even potentially pull out the flavors you want out 100%. of that particular bean, right? 100%. And yeah. then, then you have things like, is it cloudy out? Yeah. Which, believe it or not, I mean, there's so like much. Like the humidity. Humidity is wow. like something that we've, I mean, I just realized this within the past handful of years, which totally blew my mind. Cold air is denser than hot air, okay? Uh, what that means is each unit of air has more molecules in it when it's cold. So when you heat up a unit of air when it's cold outside, it actually has a greater effect right. on roasting. Yes. So it's actually easier to roast coffee when it's, and you can roast faster when it's cold outside. Oh, wow than when it's hot. So when it's hot, it's actually harder to roast coffee and get the coffee to move along. Wow. 
which is totally counterintuitive. Yeah, right? no, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah, so that's I mean, super cool. There was just y- years of like us scratching our heads yeah. and try. I mean, and we're still yeah. nowhere close to the bottom of it. Um, but yeah, so I think because we approach it that way, so we are uh, Noble Coffee Roasting, the most award-winning coffee roaster in the country. That's amazing. Congratulations Thank you. on Thank that. You. Thank you. You guys deserve it. Thanks. Well, uh, <laughs> and I think I think to a great extent, it's because of that mindset of like, if we were to come at each roast, like we know what's going to happen. Yeah. It wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't be observing well enough to move with the coffee. Um you'd you'd manhandle it and and you can actually it's funny you when you try to force a coffee to do something it doesn't want to do you can taste it that's in, so do you is there like a daily sort of feedback loop that you guys go through where you 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 roast the coffee and like test the beans as they come out sure so we do if you you know if you're looking in at our our roastery you can see that we have a computer yeah. that is hooked up to probes and those probes are at different places within the machine so we're tracking couple of different places we're tracking temperature over time and that's the big you know you're you're tracking a few things but that's those are your big levers yeah like how much heat am i adding how much gas am i adding how much flame am i adding um at what point and what does that do to environmental temperature and what does it do to bean temperature over time and you graph that out and then um we do Every single day, every single batch that we do, we, yeah. we may do a typical days from around 20 batches of 20 pounds at a time. That, so how long does a batch typically take? Typically somewhere around, um, there's like 10 to 15 minutes, depending on what you're doing with okay. it. And yeah. yeah that's um, amazing. Yeah. So, so anywhere, usually around three batches an hour. Okay. Um, and, um, and yeah, so we take samples of every single batch that we've ever roasted and then at once a week, um, we do it on Tuesdays. So we just did it yesterday, for example, we taste every batch that we roasted that week and we go through and we don't look at our graphs first. We go through and we use our palates first. Like what's happening on my tongue? Okay. Right. Yeah. And then you try to forget what happened in the roastery and you yeah. just go, what am I experiencing? Yep. Right. In my mouth. And then, um, and then what do I like? Are you doing, you're doing raw shots, no, no milk? We're doing um, what's called a cupping. So basically okay. what you do, um, and this is an industry-wide standard, you okay. take a certain amount of coffee, um, you grind it at like a medium setting, then you add super hot water just off the boil around 200 degrees. Um, you let it sit for four minutes. That forms a little crust on the top. You then uh, break the crust. So you just kind of like hit it two or three times to kind of swirl. Most of the grounds will fall to the bottom. Okay. At the top, you then have some crema that you scoop off. Yeah. And basically you have just a small cup of brewed coffee. Oh, that's great. For each roast. Yeah. And you're just trying to get the flavor profile of that coffee. That's right. So yeah. So what does this coffee taste like? And then when we have decided like, oh, hey guys, this Brazilian, for whatever reason, we don't know tastes like spot on what we want it to taste like for this blend now let's go back and look at the data like what happened during the roast that gets us more acidity right like more more brightness or maybe it's got more body or more sweetness ideally all of the above um or we have one that's like hey this is a little lackluster what do we think we try to hypothesize based on what it tastes like what do i think may have happened and then you go back and you test your hypothesis against the oh, data. That's so cool. Yeah. Do you ever uh, have to throw out batches? We, because our guidelines are pretty stringent. I was talking to somebody about this today, actually. It's almost like, it's almost like 
our systems are so um I don't know what word to use. They're so developed at this yeah. point that even if you quote unquote screw up, it's like driving. And like, as long as you stay within the lines, you can kind of like be pretty bad at driving. Okay. But you're yeah. not going to hurt anybody. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. Um, or it's like having, you know, bumpers when you're bowling or something yeah. like that. It's like our systems are so good that even if something weird happens, it still tastes awesome. Is there, is there like a, a, an interactive moment in the roasting process where um, someone has to do something manually? Oh, it's, it's the entire time. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, so this is a... It, uh, when I roasted coffee, when I learned how to roast coffee, and this is this is kind of par for the industry at the time, but it's still pretty common now, you can make coffee brown without paying much attention at all. Okay, yeah. You can enough. just, you can throw it in, you can turn on the flame, yeah. and you can walk away and do whatever, and... It's far less money and labor to do it that way because yeah. you can have that person yeah. doing whatever else, yeah. making drinks or packaging, you know, whatever. Sure. Yeah. Um, but if you're if you're playing around and again, there are different things happening in different stages of the roast. And so so what we've learned over time, we're I don't even know, well over 100,000 roasts in at this it's point. crazy. Um, I've made a ton of mistakes and then gone and not just me, we've had other people who have made these serendipitous mistakes, right? Happy mistakes where you go like, hey, that thing you did, <laughs> turns out it's delicious. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> now we should keep doing it that yeah. way. And so this, like the shape of the graph, for example, yeah. that we're using now, far different than it was Interesting. 10 years ago. That's amazing. Even different. And then, and then we learn little intricacies with yeah. different coffees. And so we're constantly tweaking. Yeah. You know, one thing that I say is if we make things one to 2% better on a weekly basis. Yeah. That's a huge amount of change at the end year. of a year. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, you're 50 to 100 percent better, and yeah. then you do that for years. Yeah, no, you know? and it just pushes the whole industry forward too. That's, that's the other thing, and, cool. and and I'm glad you said that because this industry really is from not just from a roasting standpoint, every aspect of the industry, it's constantly progressing. Right. Very, very um, interested in pushing the envelope. What would you say are some big facets of change that you've seen since Noble started? I mean, quite literally every aspect of the industry. So, really? so from farming practices, yeah. um, storage of green coffee practices. Oh, wow. yeah. um, to keep things more fresh. Yep. Um, and more stable. Um, I mean, grinding technology is better. Roasting technology is better. Uh, you know, when we first started, I used to do everything by hand. I used to take down the graphs and all of our roasters did that worked at Noble. Um, yeah. we, we did everything by hand, which at the time was totally progressive. To write anything down at all <laughs> was totally progressive That's you know, and pioneering. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, and now there's software for it, which yep. is really helpful. So yeah, I mean, are there like um, technology companies that are inno innovating significantly in the, in the coffee roasting and uh, espresso brewing? Uh, absolutely industries yeah absolutely um you know we've partnered with people who i feel have very similar values to ours and that that pioneering aspect being one of them um certainly like a responsibility you know i think one of the things that drives a lot of us is when we can make t coffee taste better people are willing to pay a little more for it sure when when customers are willing to pay just a little bit more for a drink that means that we as roasters can pay a significant amount more for the beans. Right. And that's where you get systemic worldwide 
change. So we are able to, if we can make coffee taste better, we can change, literally change the lives of millions of people. That's amazing. Typically in third world countries yeah. who really need the help. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, the, the I would say the roaster company that we work with, which is Probot. Yeah. Uh, German for proven. Pro, oh, yeah. Probat. Yeah. Um, that's great. Is that, is that right? I think it is. Yeah. I, I don't uh, know. That's that what word, I heard. But that sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, like proven. Yeah. Um, so, so Probot and then the espresso machine company that we work with in particular out of Italy called La Marsoco. Yeah. They're, uh, they're like the industry standard. So, yeah. And I feel so fortunate I've become friends with the, um, Kind of the pioneer who brought La Marsoco to the United States no originally. So um, cool. Yeah, he's a buddy of mine, and uh, you know he was the one. He and his his friend Steve, um, this is Kent Bake, um, they brought the first La Marsoco espresso machine to Starbucks when Starbucks wasn't making drinks. That's Starbucks amazing. was selling roasted coffee and and spices. Wow, and teas, which they had seen Pete's do, and then Kent started importing. Espresso machine. He was importing a bunch of different stuff from Italy. He was sure. importing pasta machines and gelato machines and espresso machines. Yeah. And so he said, hey, if I set up this espresso machine uh, in your building and teach you how to use it, I'll give it to you for free. Wow. Will you test it out and see, you know, if you like it, do your customers like yeah. it? And so, so that's where Starbucks, without that, Starbucks wouldn't, I mean, it's, that's amazing. Can you imagine? I so does Star, Starbucks doesn't still use La Marzocco's, do they? They don't. Okay. Well, they did for years and years, and yeah. they did so much, in fact, that La Marzocco ended up doing manufacturing here in Seattle. Oh wow! For a long time, because Starbucks was growing, yeah. and You know, every place was using a La Marzocco, and um, but then they they decided that training baristas was too hard, which it is pretty challenging. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that they would automate things. And so they went from using La Marsoco to their own internal kind of super automatic machines. Yeah. Which um, I'm sure, uh, threw away a little bit of the quality. <laughs> it changed the quality quite a bit yeah. and, and changed their bottom line in terms of labor yep. a ton. Oh, right. Cause um, they don't have to train people. Correct. Right. Correct. Uh, but you give up the craft. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. which is neither here nor there, but, um, but then, so then, you know, it does create an, this nice differentiator for, um, kind of higher end people who want to right. have great equipment. Like, right. yes, we're doing it. Well, it's just another, it's another variable in the whole chain of variables, right? Like if you, if you know how to properly use the espresso machine, you can tweak the flavors uh, on another side of the equation. That's essentially, right. right. Correct. Yeah. So, and, and that's really the, the trick to creating amazing coffee is at any point along the chain, yeah. you can totally screw it up. <laughs> so in order to get like a really amazing cup of coffee, yeah. like a million little miracles have to happen. <laughs> yep. And so when you finally get that cup yeah. where everything's been done well, yeah. it, it, it really is a minor miracle. I, I believe it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it's so easy to screw it up. Well, and and my wife and I got kind of obsessed with coffee when we were living in New York. And um, we read at least half of this book on just like how uh, mostly the farming practice of coffee, which is super interesting, like the washed, unwashed methods and um, and how they like pull the, uh, the bean out of the cherry and all that stuff. It's fascinating, um, which is sort of my segue into uh, how how do you source the beans uh and how did you kind of figure out that side of the business because that's yeah a whole nother aspect that's yes. really crazy so i'm gonna back up for just a second because sure. i want to say one more thing about la marsoco that i'm Please. really proud of and yeah. and can't really believe is true so 
through the process of of working with them, we've actually become pretty good friends with the the folks that are doing all the R and D and product development. How cool is that? Um, and they actually so like couple months ago they were actually here at noble these are the people who are creating the next generation Whoa. of machines and they like we are helping them to develop their next generation so they have a prototype that they're working on right now that's super hush hush yeah nobody knows about it and this, this podcast has a small circulation of, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, until now um so so we at noble are yeah. going to be the first uh, recipients no way of this machine internationally whoa and and basically we're going to get a prototype that we're going to be able to play with and help them to develop the next generation of espresso machines that is so cool it's nuts that is nuts well yeah. okay you'll have to you'll have to notify me yeah well i actually will I'm no and it'll be so it'll be and it'll actually be even hush hush for us yeah so it'll be in the back of of our, okay. our building like in the warehouse where we're going to be able to Test. do a bunch of testing and, and compiling of data for them so cool um yeah it's the best so and to be to be part of that process and 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 to be the kind of company that somebody like Lamar Soko thinks is worthy of that is just like sur I mean, totally surreal. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, I, I tell my wife this pretty frequently whenever we're like traveling or whatever, I actually am always conscious of what type of espresso machine a, a coffee shop has. And that's my first litmus test for if they're a terrible or a good coffee shop. And usually La Marzocca is the first thing that I am like, okay, that's a pretty good sign if it they is. have a La Marzocca. It's a great sign. The yeah. other, and then there are a couple of other uh, brands yeah. that, by the way, were developed by X. La Marsoco wow. engineers that when sense. that factory yeah. went down because Starbucks stopped using yeah. La Marsoco. Now all of a sudden you have all these engineers who don't have jobs. So they start espresso machine companies. Oh, so, cool. so this is like Slayer. Uh, for example, um, and Seneso. So those are the, like, if you're looking for espresso machines and you go like, cool, they have a Lamarsoco, they have a Slayer, they have an espresso or a, sorry, a Seneso. Yeah. You're, you're probably in good hands. Okay. That's, that's good to know. My preference being Lamarsoco. Yeah. Mine too. Yeah. Mine too. Uh, and, and I, I mean, we've even looked at potentially getting one for our house, but I'm like, oh, nice. oh, I don't know if I'll spend that much money right now, it's but a lot. down the road, maybe well, when you do, yeah. we're a distributor for La Marsoco, so, cool. so we can get pretty good pricing for you. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. And I, I got, can even got the connection now. <laughs> like play around with like, sometimes there are demo machines that they oh, discount so a little cool. bit. So yeah. Yeah. So let me know when yeah. you, when you want to make the plunge. A hundred percent. Yeah. It'll yeah. happen at some point for yeah. sure. I'm not, I'm not into it. Do you know that we teach classes too? I, I, Learned that like a month ago okay. from my wife. And cool. once we have a little bit of time, I'm definitely going to go to that. Yeah, that I think you'd really cool. like it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's really fun. Anyway, to go back to the other question you asked earlier yes. about sourcing. Yeah. Um, you know, so one of the things that makes us unique at Noble is that we, yes, we're doing high quality and we have the awards and blah, blah, blah. But, yeah. but we also want to do that in a sustainable way. And everybody says their quality and everybody says sustainable. Right. For us, what that means is everything we ever roast is certified organic. Yep. And not just organic, but organ tilth, I've noticed on several of yours. Yeah. Which, yeah, we're certified by Oregon Tilth, which is pretty. That's a big deal. Uh, it's on my it's on my notes of stuff to talk about, but yeah, I, yeah, it's it's we, nerve wracking going through that certification. I <laughs> I read about like the the 
like they have a description of what it takes and it's just it's, it's not a rubber stamp it's like times 10 of usda at least it's it's a lot it's, yeah it's i mean it's good it's yeah. it's great and so but what's fascinating about coffee is that coffee is the number one most chemically laden crop in the world oh wow i did not know that so so there is no crop that we put more stuff on oh wow than coffee for the majority of coffee that's out there. Is that because there's a ton of pests that eat it? That's part of it. Okay. It's it's a bunch of things. It's um it's part of it is trying to save money, frankly. Sure. So you're trying to limit labor and rather than like people out there pulling weeds, yeah. you can throw the herbicides down. Oh right? yeah. And yep. then and then yes, pesticides for for all kinds of stuff that could hurt the plant. And then um, lots and lots and lots of fertilizers um, and fungicides. And I mean, it's it's awful. If you if anybody just like if you type in coffee farm and and look up Google images, most of what you'll see is cleared rainforest. Oh, wow. Monocropping of coffee. So the only thing that's alive on that land is the coffee plant. There aren't any other animals or plants alive at all. The the workers are sick because of stuff yeah. uh and then and then we import it and ingest it yep right yeah it's it's like we're actually shooting ourselves in the foot a little bit by <laughs> there are actually a ton of agrochemicals that are illegal to use in the united states oh, wow. that are still produced in the united states yeah. shipped to other countries <laughs> where they grow food that we then import that makes no sense <laughs> it's, it's crazy that's crazy so yeah so so at noble what we've said is and and there is a belief in the industry that if you're going to do organic yeah. if you're going to do sustainable then you have to sacrifice quality yeah. and in order to do quality you have to use tons of chemicals oh my gosh and for me that just logically never made sense no um because i know and i hope everybody knows like agrochemicals are kind of new like they are maybe only like 100 years old so previous to that everything was organic right for eternity yeah right and so for us to all of a sudden say like organic is this weird thing that people are doing it just doesn't make sense yeah so i from the very beginning set out with the idea that like okay we're gonna prove that that that's silly and we're gonna be the best we're gonna have we're gonna find the highest quality copies we can find possibly find and they will all be grown organically. Gosh, that's so cool. Responsibly. Yeah. And socially responsibly as well. So so my job over the past bunch of years has been to travel all over and identify who are the producers in each country who have those same values. Right. And thankfully, every country has at least like in Kenya, there's actually only one. Wow. That's <laughs> right? amazing. Out of all the coffee that's in Kenya, there's only one certified organic farm. Unreal. They also happen to be awesome. And we've got incredible coffee from. And them. so, who certifies them? How did that? How does that process work? There are different certifying agencies all throughout the world. Okay. Um, a lot of them are European. So, like, if if you go to Africa, for for example, there are actually like Dutch companies usually. Okay. If you go to Latin America, there's a lot in, um, all over really, but um, big one in um like uh Guatemala and Mexico, and then another pretty big one in in Peru, big one in Brazil. So, and they all are calibrated in terms of what they all agree um, organic means. Okay. Yep. So there's an, there is an international agreement on when we say um, NOP, National Organic Program, here's what that means. Okay. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. And then how, how do you, how does that extra step of like organ tilth get involved? 
So Oregon Tilth certifies us at Noble. Okay. Okay. So we buy coffee that is certified by someone else at Origin. Okay. Okay. Yes. That then gets imported to the United States. The warehouses have to be certified. Oh, wow. Then that gets shipped to us. And then we as a processor handler have to be certified by Oregon Tilth. Okay, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, so we have to keep all kinds of records and Jeez. we get visited, we get audited once a year. Oh my goodness. Um, they can audit us at any time, wow. just out of the blue. So that's intense. Yeah, it is, but it's actually for us, it's easy. So some roasters do both conventional and organic. Okay, interesting. Which is harder because then you have to separate and you have to right. make that all. And you have to make it clear, clear. to them. Yeah, no, Precisely. that totally makes sense. You don't want any cross contamination or something. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And for us, because we're 100%, it actually is relatively simple. Okay. Yeah. No, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And so, okay, when, when you first, uh, got into creating the the coffee business um how did you reach out how did you find the farms and the the people internationally that you needed to source beans so the first thing you do is you start you just work with whoever's importing coffee like there are importers there are some really great companies um shout out to royal coffee um that import coffee and they've been doing it a long time royal coffee is like one of the pioneers they've been doing it since the 70s um they know everybody everywhere in the world they're the best that's amazing and so you start working with an importer or you know and there are others um and so you start trying to get to know what importers excel in what regions for example like like oh i'm always going to buy my ethiopian coffees from these people or maybe these people are strong in indonesia or whatever it is and um and then so for us it was that like first you and you get samples and you you try them and you try to choose you know the ones that you love the most and then uh, for us, a really big avenue for getting to know coffee producers and getting to know on the ground in get different countries what's going on, what's the situation, yeah. who has good coffee, what regions do we want to work with. If I'm in Peru, what you know, there's coffee over here and coffee over there, but w- what do I think is the best um, and consistently the best? Um, there's a program called the Cup of Excellence, which I highly recommend everybody look up. Um, they have a great website. It's actually a an offshoot. It was started by the USAID, which is a state department yeah. of the United States government. So our tax dollars actually went to start this program, which is a um, promoter of high quality coffee producers. Oh, that's cool. So they basically said, hey, you have all these countries where people are poor, mm-hmm. but they're working really hard. And then you have these countries <laughs> where people are producing wine, for example, and they're able to make a ton of money. How do, how do we do that with coffee producers? And what they did is they created a competition. So there's a competition that exists in all these different countries. So you'll have cup of excellence in Mexico, couple cup of excellence in Indonesia, cup of excellence in Brazil and Ethiopia. And they'll go and they'll tell all the producers in a given country. If you think your coffee's good enough, submit it to the competition. So you have hundreds of producers in a given country that do that. And then all of those coffees are roasted to the same specifications. They're all coded, so there's no politics. Um, and they are then tasted in the same manner that I mentioned earlier. They're cupped. So yeah. you, you have a spoon yeah. and you're slurping and, yeah. and you have a scorecard for each of the coffees. So, oh, so, so cool. you do usually you'll do 10 coffees at a time. You'll go through and you'll judge that coffee on uh, is it clean? Is it sweet? Is it balanced? How's the mouth feel? Um, 
all kinds of different stuff. Oh, that's so cool. So that basically the best coffee from each country sort of rises to the top. That's right. And then that is sort of internationally known. So then what happens, yeah, what's beautiful about it. So I was just in Guatemala a few weeks ago yeah. judging. And so they'll have a national panel of judges that goes through the hundreds and hundreds of coffees and winnow it down. Yeah. And then by the time there's an international panel of judges so they invite judges from all over the world so i i'll be on a panel for example with judges from um i mean everywhere russia and uh new zealand and south korea and japan yeah and canada and norway that's so and, cool and 25 of us all go into a room for a few days yeah. and we taste through all these coffees oh, that's awesome anything 86 or above moves on to the next round okay okay and do you notice uh any sort of um like uh, cultural bias to a specific flavor profile? Yes. Yeah. That's awesome. Yes, totally. Okay. Yeah. So there are different, I mean, this certainly happens person by person, but it also happens region by region. Yeah. So folks, folks from Australia and New Zealand tend to prefer X. Yeah. Folks from Scandinavia yeah. tend to prefer, you know, prefer Y. Yeah. Um, so that makes the judging a little bit it's a little bit more uh, subjective, I guess. But a little still, bit, but yeah. what ends up happening throughout the week, so there are two, two things. So there is subjective preference, mm -hmm. but then there's objective, uh, like, agreement on quality. Okay. So it's pretty fascinating how you would think that it's a very subjective thing, but once you're calibrated with other judges, it's pretty darn close. Okay. And, and yeah, they, and they actually do the data on this really well. And so, um, you know, you may have a coffee. It's very common that I'll score a coffee in the nineties, uh, which is a very high score if, if it's on a scale of a hundred. So if I score, I, I might score a coffee in 93, but I don't personally want to buy it and I don't want to drink it. Interesting. But I go, I, I, I see what this coffee is and I know there's a market for it. Right. Right. I, it's not for me. And more importantly, by the way, I don't care if it's for me. It's not for my customer base. Right. I know that my, my clientele, yeah. you know, the folks who drink our coffee um, probably aren't going to love this, but it's an incredible coffee. What, um, what flavor profiles typically do you kind of steer away from? So in coffee, um, there is this like, um, like black current, almost kind of like vegetal thing that happens it can it can verge on tomato um that is a high quality and it's it's pretty prevalent in kenya it's pretty prevalent in colombia and it's pretty prevalent within a, a, there are a couple of varieties okay. of coffee so coffee is there's within arabica there are all these different kind of sub varieties um bourbon tipica katura um uh, i mean on and on gesha yeah. and and you know it's so cool so much um, and, and some of them have, I mean, so Gesha tastes like watermelon, Jolly Ranchers and champagne. And then, um, you know, Pacamara tastes, can taste kind of more vegetal, kind of oniony. Okay. Yeah. Um, but some people like that. Yeah. That's so interesting. And are there people that are, uh, cause I know, I know people do this with like hot peppers. Are there people that cross pollinate and try to of like course. come up with new varietals Tons. and stuff? Okay. Yeah. And because coffee is such a big, um, source of foreign currency for a lot of these governments yeah like a big export um but also one of the main uh you know revenue um generators right. for foreign currency it's very common for there to be institutes of coffee in a given huh. so like that's so cool in honduras e cafe 
right? El Instituto Hondureño de Café, right? <laughs> and great. and every basically every coffee producing country has its own institute okay. that are usually associated with the university programs, and they're developing different wow. um, different varieties that they think will be higher yielding, um, more resistant to pests. Yeah. All of those. Is there kind of, of a niche, um, I don't know, uh, subculture to that, that they're trying to create sort of uh, new flavor profiles and stuff like that beyond just creating higher yields? And, and usually like that? the governments aren't trying to create higher quality. Mm-hmm. Usually they're trying to create higher yields because they're trying right. to they're trying to deal with poverty. Right. That's rather, fair. rather than trying to deal with like boutique yeah. yeah. <laughs> folks all, like all us. The, yeah. Like you guys are fine. Yeah, <laughs> you, yeah you guys can deal. <laughs> yeah. But totally. there are certain countries, interestingly, some of the countries where where folks are a little bit better off. Yeah. So Costa Rica and Panama are two, okay. two that I'm thinking. Totally. Where they are getting really boutique and, and and they are selling coffee for very high prices and they are trying to develop not only specific varieties that have those flavor characteristics but different processes so different ways of uh, you mentioned washed versus yeah. natural for example yeah. well there's all kinds of stuff you can do with um you know anaerobic anaerobic fermentation right um you know all kinds of funny things that people and that that affects the end flavor profile to some degree okay like not just not just to some degree to an incredible extent okay crazy yeah so what kind of uh process do you usually or is that important usually for your selection we typically as a company i would say we we tend to like the more traditional like do wash do it well yeah do natural do it well yeah and then in indonesia it's called wet hold okay Um, so we buy a lot of coffee from bali that's wet hold and that has a specific uh, flavor profile that has a specific purpose for um some of our blends in particular um but yeah like a really well done natural or a really well done washed coffee um and you know going back to some of the sourcing and partnering that we do all over the world we work with producers who are again really pioneering in the way that they do that processing um and people who are doing tons of experiments every year and really like the quality of coffee that they're putting out now i'm thinking of a farm in brazil that we work with in particular um fazenda ambiental fortaleza shout out to felipe um and Marcos and Sylvia, um, they do really, really good work and have been doing really, really good work for at least 10 years. So they've the, the quality of coffees that they're putting out and the technical expertise that they're able to share with the other producers in their area. Right. Those coffees are demonst- like so much better than they were even a few years ago. That's amazing. Yeah. That's so so, so cool. the whole industry, right? Like you're getting yeah. better raw product. Right. The technology of the equipment is better. Yeah. We all know more. Yeah. So everything, the it, whole way through up. it is. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 Um, so, uh, do you interact with the farmers directly? We do in a lot of cases. Okay. In some cases, I don't have a direct, direct relationship. I have done quite a bit of travel. Um, but some, there are certain relationships where, um, you know, a given importer has been on the ground and I can't be on the ground in the 15 different countries that we work with every year. I usually travel once or twice a year. So, so I've been to Brazil, you know, we've been doing noble for whatever it is, 17 years now or something like that. And I've been to Brazil 
twice, not 17 yeah, times. Yeah, of course. Right? And I'm in touch with them and they're friends of mine and I see them and they've been to Noble and, yeah. you know, the whole thing. But um, the reality of me being and there are coffee buyers mm -hmm. that are traveling all the time. Yeah. Um, it's just not a lifestyle that I've decided to, yeah, to, no. to embrace. Not only is it expensive, but it's a uh, I'm sure it's exhausting. It's exhausting. Yeah. It's exhausting because, yeah, you're not. Yeah, it's exhausting. <laughs> yeah, you're, most of your time is just like you're in vans and stuff. You yeah, know? yeah. So no, just... I've uh, my family ha has traveled to Africa twice. Okay, uh, or some of them have traveled more times. I've been to Africa twice. Cool. And so I'm I'm familiar with that process. It's yeah. it's definitely you know it's it's an amazing experience. That I would never take back, but yeah. it, it can be pretty exhausting. It, for it sure. can be grueling. Yeah. yeah, and and it's the sort of thing where when you get home, you almost have to kind of decompress for a 100%. minute. It's, it's hard to get back to yeah. just like your normal thing. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, we, we do have some really nice relationships and, and I do have, um, direct contact with a huge quantity of, of who we buy from, but not everybody. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, what would you say is like the major, um, difference in, in flavor profiles and things like that between, uh, African varietals and South American? Yeah. So I'll, I'll expand on that a little bit. So sure. basically the way that we talk about it at Noble, there are four major producing regions mm -hmm. and kind of chronologically coffee starts in Africa and yep. Ethiopia. African coffees are fruity. Keep it simple. Okay. Fruity, yeah. fruity yeah. and floral. Yeah. Okay. Then coffee gets taken to Indonesia because of in Indonesia, it's so humid mm -hmm. in, in Africa and in, in, in Ethiopia in particular, uh, you have a lot of naturals. So during the harvest season, it's dry. You can pick the fruit and you can leave the, the seeds in the fruit. You can put them out to dry in the sun. There's no problem. Where it's humid, you can't do that. You have to depulp it right away. Gotcha. Otherwise, the fruit will rot on the seeds. Right. And it's not going to taste very good. Yeah. So you have to depulp it. And you have to get it down to a, a lower kind of humidity level within the bean so that it doesn't rot too much as soon as possible. Indonesian coffees are, because of that, environment and circumstances mm -hmm. they are uh earthy they are tobacco-y they are spicy so think like clove um you know again pipe tobacco yeah so really different kind i've of, definitely had some of those those are i i like that they're though. nice yeah and they're polar opposites yeah. right so super fruity yeah. and then super kind of like base note um with indonesians chocolatey that sort of thing. Um, first blend that was ever created was a blend of those two so coffee was first uh, exported out of a port in Yemen called Al Muka. Europeans called it Mocha. Ah, so that's where we get that term. Name. That's interesting. And then the second place where coffee is exported out of is the island of Java, <laughs> which is why we call it Java, right? That's so you amazing. get coffee from Africa from Mocha, get it from Indonesia from from Java, and Mocha Java is the first blend that's created. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And is, uh, where did the mocha have the like chocolate addition to it? When, when did that happen? So now? again, coffee from yeah. Almuka from mocha is pretty fruity. Okay. When Europeans go to the new world and they taste cacao, oh. chocolate, yeah. chocolate before it's, you know, messed with too much is actually really fruity. Yep. So it reminded them of coffee. Interesting. So mocha is actually a reference to coffee first. Yeah. Right. And yeah. then they go taste cacao and they think, oh, this tastes like coffee from mocha. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. So again, African coffees are fruity and floral. Indonesian coffees are base note, earthy, spicy. And then you go to the new world and basically you have Central and South American coffees 
generally speaking, are going to be like all washed, Mm -hmm. essentially. Um, And they're going to be crisper. You're going to have citric fruits. Mm -hmm. So orangey, um, malic acidity, which is apple pear. Okay. And tartaric to some extent. So some grape. Um, And then and then lots of like caramels. Mm-hmm. chocolate stuff like that so that's almost all of central and south america especially south america in the andes so you're thinking colombia right ecuador peru um bolivia but then on the other side of the andes to the east you have brazil which is lower and a totally different animal than all of the rest of latin america and brazil is basically chocolatey nutty okay that's super interesting yeah why is it that um, you don't see too much coffee coming from Mexico? You do. Oh, do you? Yeah. So there's a lot of coffee from Mexico. We actually just bought, I mentioned the cup of excellence. Yeah. We just scored. I'm very excited to say. So I usually do buying groups. I may not. Oh, I didn't mention this. We talked about a cup of excellence and yeah. like choosing the highest quality coffees, right? So at the end, you have hundreds of producers submitting their coffees. By the time it's done, you may only have 25 winners. Okay. Oh, okay? wow. Yeah. And then those go to an online auction and the bidding starts where the current rate for coffee right now is about a buck 60 per pound. The, the beginning bid is always five fifty at the minimum. Oh, wow. And in Guatemala, for example, where I just was the number one coffee went for $130 a pound. That's so, crazy. So the, again, most producers are being paid a buck 60. The winner so got 130 per pound. It's interesting then with that in mind that, uh, countries are not more focused on the extreme high quality stuff because you're getting an insane premium for the those. issue with that is yes you have those those premiums and those 25 producers are stoked right yeah but you have tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of other producers who are just trying to eke out a living and so it's like okay that's they're different kind of animals and they probably don't even have the resources to pull off the really high-end stuff potentially or if they could do the high-end stuff they wouldn't know how to like marketing it would be challenging <laughs> right or the know-how to do the processing would be tough um so there there are some roadblocks there that um to be honest like organizations such as fair trade mm-hmm. have really tried to to kind of um eliminate and and have done a really nice job um so yeah anyway uh but i was going to mention mexico you said mexico yes yes. so mexico we um just one uh we have a a group of other roasters that we formed a buying group with and we're competing right there's this online auction so you're competing against roasters all over the world oh god so there's folks in you know in south korea or in taiwan yeah. Or in Sweden, who are trying to buy the same coffees you are, and you're yeah. bidding against each other. Gotcha. Um, which is fun because we're kind of all friends. And so we won the number four coffee, which I was just like, oh, this is the best. I'm so excited. Yeah. And then we won the number one. No way. Yeah. So, so within an, the next few months, um, we're going to be offering at Noble. We'll have the number four. Sweet. But then probably just before the holidays is how the timing will work yeah. out. We're going to have the number one coffee from Mexico, which is a friend of mine, actually, who I met years ago named Gustavo, who has a farm called Finca Las Nieves, which is just 
the greatest people, the greatest values, and and now demonstrably the greatest coffee. That's amazing. So yeah, so it's and it's a, and it's from Mexico. It's from Mexico. It's that's from so Oaxaca. Cool. It's a it's a Geisha variety that that's a natural process. Um, and yeah, number one coffee in Mexico for the year. Wow. So yeah, that's incredible. And that, to answer your question earlier, there is actually quite a bit of Mexican coffee, but the Mexican economy is pretty strong and where you have strong economies, a lot of times the good coffee stays in the country. Fair enough. Because we, they have money to buy it. Because they can all afford it. Yeah. Right. So right. there are, there are some beautiful coffee shops in Mexico yeah. Um, yeah. and good coffee roasters and all of that. Whereas in certain countries where the economy is not as strong, they need to sell that coffee to the external market so that they can bring in currency. Makes sense. Yeah. Makes so sense. they usually keep the, unfortunately they, keep the crummy stuff and they sell the good stuff. I mean, it's kind of the same thing. Like we, we don't export most of our agriculture. We export some, but not yeah, most of it. Cause that's right. We consume it. Here. That's right. Um, do we grow any coffee in North America? Very, very little. There's, there's in, I mean, in North America, essentially the answer is no. Uh, well, hold on. <laughs> I should say this. Technically, Mexico is part of North America. Yes. 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 <laughs> so 100%. Y- yes. Yes. <laughs> Mexico grows a ton of coffee. Yeah. Southern we actually just bought another Mexican coffee from Chiapas. That's awesome. So yeah, Chiapas, Veracruz, um, and Oaxaca all have great coffee, um, et cetera, Tabasco. Um, and so yes, in Mexico, in the United States, um, continental United States, there's has started to be in Southern California, these kind of like in small valleys, uh, very Southern California where the microclimate is just such that they can grow. Okay. And um, it's very high demand, super expensive, yeah. pretty good. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> from my perspective, it's the same as buying coffee from Hawaii where like, yes, there's good coffee there for sure. It's really expensive. Yeah. So is the markup worth it essentially? And from my perspective, I have my background is in um, uh, international studies, kind of international economics social justice to some extent. Right. So I'm like, okay, what good am I doing for that society? <laughs> this group of people that yeah. I just visited in Guatemala, yeah. I, I know what they're dealing with. Right. And I know what these folks on the Island of Kona are dealing with. Yep. Who probably needs yeah. my support more? No. And, and how cool is that, that you, your business can actually like pull people up. I think that's really it's neat. one. It's one of the neatest things. I mean, I really feel, I know that I feel really lucky to live in a community, um, you know, in Ashland where we all believe in the idea of like, we're all doing fine. And so the idea of like a wealth redistribution to yeah. places that are not doing quite so well, we're 100%. all on, we're on board with it. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm doing well enough. I'm happy to pay not for charity, but like, if this is a demonstrably better product, I want to support people who are doing that. And that's my favorite. I have told my wife this too before, like my favorite type of sort of quote unquote, altruistic business, I guess, is like, you know, if the product itself is so good that it sells it, it sells itself and yet it is doing something good for society. Like that's going to be the one that's going to sustain forever. That's because, been us. And that's know. for, yeah, I, literally we're the most award-winning coffee roaster in the country. Everything we ever do is certified organic. We're working with really, really, um, you know, if, if we wanted to have a conversation about values and, yeah. and what drives me personally yeah. and our company and my colleagues at Noble and and the producers that we work with, it's it is really, really, really worth supporting. Yeah. No, we're I doing we're doing some really that. cool things in the world. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. 
Okay. I should say one thing, by the way, before yeah. I forget, which sure. is just like for people who live in Ashland and, and the surrounding area or anybody that's that's going to make a pit stop in Ashland and, and potentially stop by the coffee house, we just started using Alexander Family Farm Milk. And um, I have noticed that. Which you should check them out. Check out their website. They're in Crescent City, California. They are the most incredible people. The product that they make is we did we did a blind taste test. You know, this is just how we do things at Noble. We you know, it's not. It's not based on, it has to be based on quality first, has to be a better experience for our customers. And so we made lattes and, um, we had been using really good milk. We've always used organic milk, local milk, super good. We made up two lattes side by side and we, and then our core staff tasted the two and it wasn't even close. It was number one unanimous. And then it was such a different product and so good, um, that we just were like, well, I guess it's, it's total, it's way more expensive, but we, I, my hands were tied. I was just like, I, we have to do this. It's, it's definitely the right choice and not out of charity. It's just because it's, it's a better product from incredible people. Yeah. You know, and if we can just. Oh, and, and I uh, started noticing their milk at um, market of choice, like, I don't know, six or eight months ago and started buying it for just for home. Yeah. And, and it was just immediately what so much this? better than <laughs> anything else I've tried. Yeah. I will say though, uh, at least in my experience, it is way harder on our crappy little coffee machine downstairs to froth milk that is non-homogenized. Is the ver variant that you uh, buy homogenized or not? It, you definitely want to shake it. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. I think that's you maybe what I'm missing. You definitely want to shake it yeah. first. Yeah. yeah. Which I think to some extent is an, you know, an indicator of what a, a kind of pure product it is. And I... I mean, if I'm drinking milk, homo uh, non-homogenized is by far my preference, yeah. without a doubt. Yeah. yeah, it's so much better. No, we've we've been blown away. Yeah, just it, it, and it. I don't. know, It's weird. It's just like it looks purer. Yeah. You know. Yeah. No, you can tell the yeah. difference. It's, so. it seems smaller batch or something. I don't know what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, it amazing. is just it is one farm. So yeah. that's that's one aspect of it. It's one farm. It's yeah. one family. It's one production facility. It, I mean, it's like how we used to drink milk mm -hmm. before everything became, you know, huge, huge. business. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. That's right. Yeah. One one question I wrote down that I, I want to ask is, um, where did the logo and the name for Noble come from? Because I really, I love both Thanks. of them. Thank you very much. Yep. I appreciate that. Um, they both mean a lot to me. So the the logo... In a way, the logo came first because, um, again, coffee comes from Ethiopia originally. Yep. The symbol for the empire of Ethiopia and the emperor of Ethiopia was the Lion of Judah. Uh -huh. So when you see like a lot of like Rasta symbolism, yeah. Rastafarian symbolism yeah, yeah. has the Lion of Judah on it. Interesting. Right? And yeah. so so that lion was was really where we got going. And that OK, so it's going to be a lion. Yeah. Um, I happen to be a Leo, which is also kind of a, you know, whatever it's, it plays into it. Um, and then, uh, and then Noble, we were trying to find a name and, you know, came up with a different, you know, a million different variants, but Noble is the first name of my grandfather. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And he was just like such an influential person. Um, he was an engineer for United Airlines. Uh, yeah the neatest person. He was a pilot. He was a, a sailor, um, an inventor, just wow. like really, really. And just like the kindest, most down to earth, fun 
person you could possibly meet. Oh, it's so cool. Yeah. That's so, a great origin. Yeah. Love so, that. so that inspiration. Um, and it just so happened that like, Hey, noble and the lion kind of make sense together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, where would you say that you learned, uh, the majority of your business skills, did you learn them on the fly or did you learn them in school or, or a mix or what? Um, I think I, I was kind of always a kid who, uh, was looking for like little ways to make money and just like have fun doing it. My brother and I, brothers and I both, um, you know, we would like go to golf courses and try to find golf balls that people had (laughs) lost and we'd wash, go home and wash them and make them look nice and try to go and see how much we could sell them for. So stuff like that, or, you know, lemonade stands and, um, you know, so you always had the uh, a bit of the entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah, which I don't um, I don't know that that where that even comes from or if it's just natural. Um, but I have and I also I just kind of always saw the world that way. Yeah. Um, just like, yeah, create. <laughs> I mean, creating products. Yeah. Um, so there's that, and then you know, again, my background, my educational background is like languages and philosophy, and like totally different. Um, but I think those those things kind of build your critical thinking skills and uh and allow you to look at problems differently i think you're right I, so much of what i enjoy studying are th- is things like you know um sociology and psychology yeah. and history yeah and um and so to answer your question I, a lot of my quote-unquote skills i don't know how skilled i would call myself <laughs> but um suit like absolutely you've been, you've been around for what 16 years i mean that, i have a business that yeah. hasn't failed yet yeah, so, so knock I, on wood that's, that's yeah success in I re- my and i really do look at it that way like we were open today and we're, i'm pretty darn sure we're going to be open tomorrow yeah, that's and that's great that's, that's pretty all, good that's all you can ask for yeah. yeah so yeah my business skills i would say a big part of it is um just really leaning learning to lean on other people mm-hmm. You know, at the beginning, I did everything. I did the graphic design. I did, you know, all of the finance. I did everything. And then I was actually thinking about this last night. Like one of the best things I've learned how to do is in each of those realms, who's like way better than me. Yeah. Right. So with graphic design, like find that I can do it, but who's way better than me. Right. Um, Everything. Recipe development. Who's who's way better than me. And so if I can find a team of people that um, that are just far better than me and then I can imbue that, you know, organism with the vision and the values. Yeah, that's really my job. Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, that makes perfect sense. And and especially once you get farther into the um, the business, I mean, like once it's lived a little bit longer. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have to start saying what comes next. Right. You have to, you know, you ask my team, you know, guys, where, where are you? Here's what I think. How, you know, I'm going to bounce that off you. How's that sound? What are your interests? Right. You know, in our core group, where do we all want to go together? Well, that, that's a great segue. Cause I had that question for you. Like what, what do you see as the, uh, future of Noble? What is the, do you have goals that you haven't hit yet and all that kind of stuff? So we created a product that you're familiar with, Alex, which is called Noble Tonic. Yep. That's um, great. That's that I'm really passionate about. So coffee, uh, we call it a seed. Um, sorry, we call it a bean. It's actually a seed of this amazing fruit that doesn't go t- basically to use at all. It's just composted on most farms, but it's the most antioxidant rich fruit we know of. It's naturally caffeinated. Um, it's just incredibly good for us and we're not utilizing it. And so that's, that drove me crazy for years. So I, 
developed this this soda, mm-hmm. this carbonated soda made out of the coffee fruit, lemon juice, and agave. And my dream is to pay every coffee producer for what they pick. So instead of they pick a mass and then only use half of it, yeah. How do we get them? How do we pay them for the whole of what they're producing? And so I would love to see Noble Tonic distributed everywhere. That's yeah. that's a big um, dream of mine. Um, we <laughs> we were approached um, by someone about a year ago who. Um, this gentleman's last name happens to be noble, uh, from Louisiana. That's amazing. And he was in town in Ashland and, and his friends were like, Oh, you should probably check out noble coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Noble. (laughs) And so he goes and he checks it out and he's like, this is great. This I would, you know, and he does some real estate development Mm -hmm. said, I would love to franchise noble and start including it in these developments that I'm doing. Yeah. And so. I, you know, we all considered that. And I thought, oh, instead of doing that, maybe we should just try to create this whole new brand together. Yeah. And so one of the things that will be happening over the next few years is um, Noble Coffee Roasting will be um, feeding this brand. Cool. It, it'll be a wholesale account of ours. It'll yeah. use Noble Coffee, um, but it'll be a separate brand called Cafe Leroy. Gotcha. Um, That's so cool. Yeah. So we're working on creating that brand. And we're also, our, our wholesale department um, is doing incredibly well uh, under the leadership of of Nate Ovulus. Shout out to Nate and and to Joe, who's both in the wholesale, but Joe's also our roastery manager. So our wholesale department for Cafe Leroy, but also um, there's a really great coffee shop that just opened up in Crescent City called Paragon Coffee that uses our coffee and they're killing it. Amazing. Um, so more of that is coming down the pike. Um, yeah, shout out to Gobies in Medford and and Mill Street, which is going to be showing up in Grants Pass relatively soon. Um, yeah, all over the place with wholesale, and then you know just improving things at our coffee house. Um, our um, coffee house manager Robin is doing such an incredible job, and our whole team. Our coffee house is stronger than it ever has been. It's I'm really proud to say it's it's years ago. There were times when I would say it's not noble yet. Right. Like it's good. We're getting there, but it's not noble yet. Yeah. You know, like I could just feel it wasn't, it wasn't the like version of it that I, that I felt like it could be. And I feel like it is now. Like I, I really do. I'm so proud of how we treat our customers. I'm so proud of how clean things are. I'm proud of the, the caliber of drinks we're putting out. I'm really proud of the, um, the knowledge base that our staff house, the, the, you know, we do all of our pastries in house. And, uh, that leads me to another question I had, cause I'm always very impressed with your guys's pastries. Thanks. I have to say your, uh, croissants are probably the best well, in the Rogue Valley. Here's what's hilarious. Yeah. So, okay. We do all our pastries in house yeah. except okay, the croissants. we don't do the croissants or the chocolatines because okay. we, we import them from France. Oh, wow. Well, and, that explains and it. And we're like, we, we're not going to be able to beat this if yeah. we try to do it on our own. So, yeah. so we're not going to try. Right. So, so we import them frozen and we do bake them off daily, but they're, that's actually incredible that they still taste that good when they're frozen. Like they're so insane. good. Yeah. So, and I shouldn't just say we bake them. We bake them off all day long. So okay. we, we do our initial bake off in the morning and then we're constantly baking off pastries well, all, all I, day long. I have to say my, my actual favorite that I, uh, am truly addicted to is the, uh, the, um, scone the blackberry, blackberry scone. scone that thing yeah. is ridiculous it's so good it's so good and we do make those in-house and we make them with organic blackberries that are that are from the pacific northwest here you that we've sourced it. yeah it's 
So I'm really proud of our pastry program. And so, yeah. So again, shout out to Robin and, and the rest of our coffee house team. Um, did you guys develop, uh, those recipes in house? Yeah. I mean, over time. Yeah. I mean, we started with a certain kind of lineup of pastries and then just over time we have, yeah, we've had so many really, really, really good pastries that people yeah. just didn't buy. Yeah. So we're like, okay, discontinue that tweak this one. Add this other one. Yeah, you're you're essentially like A/B testing, like what Always. is yeah. Yep, and then watching the data yeah. and saying like, oh, these are delicious, but yeah, but we only sell one a day. Yeah. So, okay. Totally. Well, I mean, literally, like we've had lemon bars that have been written up in the newspaper, but then like they don't sell, so then oh well. It's crazy. Yeah. Right. Um. Yeah. And, and and yeah, how do you? I always wonder about like with uh, any place that sells pastries and things that only have you know one day or two days of lifespan. How do you make that on demand and not make too many to it's where it's really hard? Yeah, it's really hard because our business is uh, very variable. So, you know, a given day we might have 400 customers and then the next day for no reason. Right. We have 300. Yeah, no, I've noticed it. I, I would just and it's you have there's it's so difficult to to project. Yeah. So what we've decided to do is we have a certain number that we will do uh, a bit in the bake-off every morning and then we just watch what happens and and so what we do as as a behind the scenes is we create all of our pastries and then we freeze them and so we have them frozen just this supply of everything that we're ready to bake off at any point and so sometimes it's blackberry scones all day long out of the blue and we just we bake off all our blackberry scones and then the next day it's carrot bran muffins for, for no reason right that's so random it's really random yeah but because of the way we've created the systems we can flex and adapt and then make sure that whatever our customers needs are that day we're able to fulfill yeah that makes sense and that actually kind of uh leads into the other question i had which is um like what what would you say are some of the uh hardest learned lessons that you've had to kind of adapt to or, you know, understand uh, about the business throughout the years that that you wish that you knew early on, but, you know, you wish you could have taught yourself. God, I mean, well, first of all, there are so many. I've, I've made a million mistakes. Which um, is the ultimate way to learn, though. It is. Yeah. It's, it's really painful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's... Um, the balance between, so when I first started, I was like, this is going to be, you know, a, a community effort and I don't want to be the boss. We're all going to make decisions together. And then like, man, that didn't work at all. Like <laughs> you, in any given organization, you have to have somebody that, that says, okay, I'm, I'm willing to, even though it's reluctant, maybe I'm willing to be the final decision maker. And even when it's uncomfortable, you, you know, I hope you guys will follow my lead. You know, and I'm going to try to get everybody's opinion and we're going to try to do this all together. But at the end of the day, somebody has to be the person that says, here's the direction we're going. Right. Somebody has to be the captain of the ship. Um, and so and I was really reluctant to do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I used to my my um, my email signature now says founder CEO. Yeah. It used to say like whatever barista coffee guy, or <laughs> you know, or barista and roaster or yeah. something like that. I was like, I'm not that I'm not a business guy at all. And then I was like, oh, no, I need to learn how to, like, build an organization. Right. I, I, you know, if it's one thing, if it's just me as the barista and my little shop. But as soon as I and when we opened, we only had a staff of like five of us. Oh, wow. And then immediately we we're like, oh, we're too busy. We need way more people. We yeah. need 15 or 20. And when you have 20 people, now you need a company. 
Yeah, right? absolutely. You need an organization. And so I had to learn how to be that, um, which took a lot of, uh, of personal growth and, um, again, lots of mistakes. Um, and so I think, I think some of those lessons I would probably recommend like, Hey, everybody, if you're going to have a business that has more than just you, you got to learn how to create systems and training and like you have to, somebody has to be in charge. Yep. No, that makes sense. It's not, it's not a democracy. <laughs> no, which yeah. actually still makes me kind of bristle a little. Like yeah. I'm like, it should be, <laughs> you yeah. know, but like, yeah. yeah, but in the end, like somebody has to make the call. No, I, Just, I, I uh, definitely relate to that. I feel like I, I recently took on a more of a manager role at my job and it's yeah. just, it's, it's a totally different dynamic. It's, it's weird hard. to not be on the same playing field as everyone else in yeah. some ways, you know? Yeah. And I would say calls. I, one thing that I'm really proud of too, with, with, you know, with our staff, we have some people who have really stepped up into some leadership positions. Um, one person who I haven't mentioned yet is our marketing manager and assistant coffee house manager, Chloe. Um, and, and just like all of those key people who have stepped up into leadership positions, including people who are in what we call the PIC position, person mm -hmm. in charge mm -hmm. of a given shift yeah. to learn how to coach your colleagues, people who you see as your peers, but then like, Hey, you're put into this position where you have to call the shots. Yeah. And if somebody's doing something they're not supposed to be doing, you got to call them on it in yep. a kind way. That is a really difficult thing to learn how to do. And, and we have some people that have learned to do it so gracefully that it's it's just yeah it's inspiring it's really cool where um there the number of people that i see at noble typically on a typical day is maybe six or seven in terms of employees um where are most of the 15 or 20 uh employees on on a given day so we usually don't have not everybody's going to be there right um you're going to have in the coffee house you're usually going to have three people on the floor you're going to have a, a barista, a bar back, and a cashier. Um, a lot of times you'll have a manager who is managing that, but also managing things like taking inventory and, you know, um, placing orders and doing training yeah. and doing hiring yeah. and doing, you know, just general, you know, human resource management, um, that sort of thing. Um so that's the coffee house, right? And then you have that times two shifts. You have the morning shift right. and you have the afternoon shift. Yep. Okay. That makes sense. And then you have our roasting department. Um, you have packaging, which is kind of related. Um, then you have within wholesale, you have people who are out doing deliveries. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, you have people that are doing technical work. So working on equipment. Um, sometimes these are the same people. Sometimes they're not. Um, and yeah, again, marketing, um, again, shout out to Chloe. She's done such an incredible job over the past couple of years in that area. I feel like our, our vision is really being, um, lived out in the experience internally and externally. Yeah, totally. A and, uh, and let me see, is that it? That's basically it. I and mean, then, and then like, extensive. I'm frankly, there's me who's <laughs> kind of like, I see you floating around on occasion. <laughs> I yeah. So I'm floating around, I'm answering emails and, and then I do all of our green coffee relationships. So I'm, yeah. Um, and thinking of like my, my job is to do that and have yeah. those relationships. But then my job is to kind of dream and think about where we're going next. Yeah. Take everybody's input and then say, okay, based on where we all kind of want to go, what what direction are we pointing the ship in that makes sense totally yeah. yeah um where do you see the the progression of sort of the coffee the third wave coffee industry going like what are some um 
yeah, some things that you kind of see potentially as like themes that the industry is going towards? Um, I think, you know, the direction that basically got started, you mentioned third wave, which yeah. in my mind is around the year 2000 or something like yeah. that. I think we're still kind of doing the same thing, okay. which I think we should be doing. I, yeah. I, I love essentially what you're doing is you're, you're going back to what Alfred Pete mm -hmm. first started doing. So in a way, yeah, in a way, Alfred Pete started the third wave back when it was kind of the first or second wave, which was he came to the United States from Holland and he was like, man, you guys have crummy coffee <laughs> and no, and it's all, it's all confusing for the consumer. Yeah. So it's this like breakfast blend and yeah. nobody knows what's in it. And so the, it's all like the power is in the hands of, of these huge roasting companies. They can change the blends all they want. They can do whatever they can throw tons of Robusta in, you know, change it all around and the end consumer has no clue what's going on. Right. He's like, oh no, what we need to be doing is showing customers different regions so that customers are empowered to then go to the roasters and say, hey, I want coffee from Central America. I want to, I like washed coffees from Central America and I want them to be produced well and I will pay an appropriate amount for that. Gotcha. Right? I'm, yeah. I'm willing to pay fair prices for a coffee that I know I really like. Right. Right. Totally. Or for somebody to go like, hey, I love um, natural Ethiopians. And again, willing to pay whatever, because I know that's what I love. And um, so that's something that Alfred P. first started. And, and we're, we're doing that again. And is that, does that tie into the uh, term that I always hear, single origin? Yeah, so single origin, you've got blends and single origins. Yeah. A blend is coffee from multiple places, okay. right? Yep. Single origin is coffee from a single origin. And it's similar to like wine and the, the same thing. Yes. That's interesting. So yeah, single, is it a single estate maybe right. even? So there's that as well. So single origin would be, this is all from Kenya. Well, we, when we do it, we try to get really specific, like yeah. single producer, single estate, sing, uh, sometimes single variety. Yeah. Right. So like, Ooh, this is a, this is a cut or the, the number one Mexican that I mentioned from the cup of excellence. That is a Gesha variety naturally processed yeah. from this one farm called Finca Las Nieves in, yeah. in Oaxaca. Yeah. So there's you like know? no, uh, convolution of flavors from it is, that yeah. is what that tastes like. Right. Very, very specifically. Right. Yeah. Do you ever, um, is there kind of an art to like mixing and matching and doing the blends? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And, and do you enjoy that aspect? Yeah. We play with that all the time. Not just yeah. me, but my, our whole team, yeah. you know, as we're tasting things and determining, you know, what coffees are you going to put in? So the, the, the goal with single origins is, Hey, we're going to have this variety of coffees that's going to come in. And so you may come in now and this is our lineup. And in a month it's going to be, you know, we'll have a couple of different things. Yeah. Right. So it's changing. Yeah. Not everybody likes change. Yep, yep. Some people are like, I want the same cup of coffee every single day. Don't screw this up. Right? So that's what blends are for. Okay. Yep. So a blend is like, okay, world tour is going to taste like world tour yes. every day of the year. It's like, it's like how Tabasco never really changes its flavor profile because they just, they collect all sure. the peppers from different parts of the world and like mix it into one. Batch. That's right. right. Yeah. And when companies do change, like when Coca-Cola changed, yeah. people, people revolted. People got really angry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah. So our blends are what they are now as seasonality of coffee changes, we may throw in a different component, yeah. right? Like, okay, this Brazilian coffee that we had this year, it turns out that we found another farm that's right next door that we like a little bit better yeah. or, or something happened, right? right. Or, say, or, or this Guatemalan producer that we worked with decided to do something funny this year 
the sample that we got, we didn't like at all. And I don't want to do that to my consumers. Yeah. So we have this other option and we're going to do that instead. So yes, it's from us. And so the pro flavor profile of the blend never changes, Yeah. but the way we tweak the components and the way that we learn about the roasting bit by bit will change that makes sense so you have to kind of adjust a bit on the fly that's right that's interesting yeah so ideally the the, the end customer never ch tastes any difference yeah but that's because we're behind the scenes yeah. constantly playing around so that that's the case yeah that's that makes total sense yeah wow it's fun yeah that is fun that's a it's and challenging tricky for sure <laughs> it's totally tricky yeah yeah so um i know with um uh, with wine. Um, oh, I, I know it was, sorry, totally crazy yeah. how you lose Great. your train of thought. Yeah. Sometimes. yeah. Uh, we're talking about a lot of stuff. Uh, how, how certain years, um, if it's a really hot year or a really cold year or really rainy year that can really affect, yeah, exactly. It can totally affect the, the grapes. Is that similar with coffee? hundred percent. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I mean, I think really most agricultural products are that way and coffee certainly is variable that way. So I mean, rainfall is a big one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, it's so many things like in Brazil, sometimes it, it, they'll get a frost and that will, you know, create havoc. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and will you sometimes like switch up, uh, crops or farmer, uh, like farms or whatever based off of that, the difference of yeah. that year? Yeah. So we have a responsibility from my perspective yeah. to the producer partners that we work with, yeah. right? Like I, I, have a relationship with you and we're going to help each other out over the years. And this has to be a win-win situation. Yeah, right? totally. I also have that same relationship with my consumers, Yeah, right? Yeah. With the end yeah. customer. Yeah. So I can't be like, oh, like my friend, whatever, Leonel yeah. in, in Guatemala had a crummy crop this year, but yep. he's my buddy. So I'm still going to sell that coffee right. to my customers. I can't do that. Right. So I have to play this funny balancing act yeah. of responsibility to everyone. Right. And I, you know, I promise my customers who are buying our roast to coffee or our drinks, they're always going to be awesome. Yep. And I promise to be fair to the producer. Yeah. Right. Yep. I'm going to work with you. I'm going to do the best I can. I'm hoping that your coffee is going to taste like an 89. If it tastes like an 87, no problem. Yep. If it tastes like an 82, I can't do it. Yeah. Right. So there are certain thresholds that we have. Um, fair enough. Yeah. And, and. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard sometimes, and there are relationships. You yeah. know, I've been to real people. These, I know these people's families. I've been to their homes. They've yeah. made me meals. I've made them meals. You know, yeah. and then yeah. and then you go, hey, <laughs> I'm really sorry. This year, it's just not up to snuff. Yeah, what did you do? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. why did you do? You know. And are there times where you guys do get to the bottom of like what was the variable that yes. changed? Yes. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. There, there's a particular situation where there's a producer who decided to do what's called a honey process or what's called a depulped natural. So to do washed coffee, you pick the fruit and then you depulp it. You take the fruit off the top, yep. right? And then you ferment it in water um, and then you put it out to dry. You can do a hybrid process called honey or depulp natural. And that is where you depulp it. You take that most of the layer off. And then, you know, when you have a, like a cherry, and you take the cherry off, you have the pit, and the pit's kind of slimy, that layer is called mucilage. So that sticky layer, that's called, in Spanish, they call it miel. Okay. They call it, they call it honey. Ah. And so if you leave that on and you dry it with that fruit on, some people believe that it adds to the sweetness. 
I personally tend to not like it. I think it tends to make it taste kind of mealy. Yeah. Um, and, and have a kind of mealy mouthfeel as well. Um, that happened with a producer. He was like, ooh, I'm going to make my coffee sweeter and it's going to be more delicious because I'm going to do it this way. He didn't confer with anybody. He did his <sighs> Risky. full crop that way and it was not as good. And so, yeah, unfortunately, like everybody just, we had to, we had to say no thank you. That's intense. Yeah. And this is a relationship that we've had for years. Yeah. And so, and our customers missed that coffee. Well, I'm sure he, uh, or the farmer will not make that mistake. Again. I hope not. <laughs> yeah. But the good news is there's a thing in the industry, which is that every coffee finds a home. Yeah. Right. So he'll he, find a buyer. For he'll sure. find a buyer for it. He'll yep. sell it. Yep. Uh, it might not be quite at the same yeah. uh, price level price level, but right. yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah. Um, do you guys distribute outside of the Rogue Valley? We do. Okay, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. I've seen I've seen your coffee in um uh the co-op obviously and um and in Market of Choice, mm-hmm. which I think is super cool. Yeah, no, yeah. co-op market of choice. We've you know been in Whole Foods, yeah. uh Market of Choice outside the area, all over the place. Um we'll just like randomly get customers, you know, the um philosophy department at columbia you know in new york <laughs> no has, has like a little coffee shop you know and, yeah yeah and uh and they they sell noble they have yeah that's amazing um there's this random um coffee shop in colorado in leadville colorado um called zero day and they do an awesome job nice. shout out to zero day and um uh, so they've got our coffee um yeah no we have we have a little bit of a following do you guys uh do you require that you like train people that buy at your coffee wholesale we like to yeah, so we have a pretty, um, I don't want to say rigorous, we have a supportive uh, yeah. uh, program, training program. So we are as um, helpful as we can possibly be right. to, to businesses that are selling our coffee. And so um, a lot of times, for example, the folks from Colorado actually came out, they, they flew out to, to Ashland, which is what we love to do. We love to host people here and then like, let's show you what we do. We'll tell you everything. You know, the way we see our coffee house is as a lab where we get to run experiments on how people should run coffee shops. Yeah. We make tons of mistakes. So you don't have to <laughs> like, here's what we've learned. Yeah. Uh, Paragon has been again in Crescent City, a really good example of a place where they're like, we like what you do. Um, we're going to just trust you and see what happens. And so we've given them everything. Amazing. We've, yeah, they've trained with us and yeah. we've given them all the expertise we possibly can. So cool. And they are murdering. <laughs> they are doing so like so well. That's yeah. awesome. Um, but again, because I think they've been humble enough to realize that we can save them a lot of heartache. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you've gone through all the, the years. Yeah. 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 100%. We, yeah. Yeah. Um, one, I, I think one last tangent I want to go down before we, we sort of wrap things up is, uh, what are some of the variables on the espresso side that, um, affect the end flavor that you can speak to? Sure. It's actually the same, all the same variables, no matter how you brew coffee. So, um, you know, espresso, you've got the variable of pressure that's provided by the machine. So there is that impact. And you also, when you're tamping, you have that variable other than that all the other variables are going to come into play no matter how you're brewing coffee. So you're, you know, when was the coffee roasted? Um, how are you grinding it? So, so particle size, um, what's your dose, right? What's your ratio of coffee to water volume? Right. Right. Um, are you using clean water? Are you using filtered water, which you should, um, 
water temperature is humongous. So you can literally brew coffee. The, the window that's recommended by the Specialty Coffee Association is between 195 and 205. And I would highly recommend people play around in that window. It's so fun. If you brew a coffee at 195 and a brew a coffee at 205, it's not going to taste like the same product really? at all. Wow. Not even at all. In fact, the window that we recommend at Noble is between 198 and 202. Okay. Yeah. And even if you did those two, if you brew at 198, brew at 200 and brew at 202, and you'll have vastly different products. That's wild. Yeah. So that's a big, big, big one. So do you guys play with that depending on the, the actual bean too? Like at, at Noble, will you ch change the temperature? Not at all? much. We like, yeah. we like to keep that pretty tight. So, yeah. so part of what's nice about doing coffee at home is that you can play with everything. Yeah, absolutely. When you're playing, when you're running a coffee shop and yeah. you're going like, okay, well, there are 15 different baristas. There are 11 different coffees, yeah. right? Yeah. And there are 15 variables mm -hmm. that we're dealing with. Yep. Part of the, you know, obstacle or the challenge, I would say, or opportunity is how do you, what are the variables that you want to stay standard on, yeah. right? You want to hold as constants and then which are the ones you want to play with a little yeah. bit more. And so we really try to limit those variables and we try to do most of the coffees. I would say one of the things that we do most is the variables are done in the roasting more. So we roast our coffees very differently. And then if we brew them all the same, they're going to have very different results because of right. where they come from and how they were roasted. Totally. And then we try to brew them mostly the same when we're talking about things like French press, um, Chemex, which is a pour over and siphon. Makes right? sense. Yeah. When we're doing espresso, we've actually added this other element, which I'm really proud of. Nobody knows this except our staff. And I don't even know how much our own staff, some of them know it a lot. And then some of them are like, it's, it's kind of hard to wrap your brain around. So our espresso machine is basically a rocket ship. It's such cool technology. Each of our group heads there are three group heads where we're pulling shots with portafilters. Each of them is run by its own internal pump. Oh, wow. Each of those pumps has, can be programmed with a pressure profile. Okay. So typically when you're running an espresso machine, you're pulling shots at nine bars. As soon as you turn the espresso machine on, it goes to nine bars. When you turn it off, it goes from nine bars to zero bars. The issue is when you're extracting coffee, nine bars is way too much at the beginning. Yeah. And it's way too much at the end. You have to have like a ramp up. So with our espresso machine, I've literally created graphs that I've been able to upload onto a computer Whoa. and then throw it on a thumb drive. I'm able to plug it into my espresso machine. And then for each group head, there are four pressure profiles. Luckily, we happen to have four coffees. Each of our coffees has a totally unique pressure profile. That's amazing. So based on what we want that coffee to taste like. And yeah, so is that just trial and error? To trial get, and error. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So that's, that was when we first got that machine. Yeah. Um, it was basically me tinkering around in the warehouse for at least a month trying to get to, trying to learn, yeah. you know, when you're adding pressure at different stages in that extraction process, what results are you getting? And that was actually the reason I, I've been researching different espresso machines for a long time. And one of the things that I really want is the ability to control the extraction pressure at different stages. And you don't really get that until you get into the pretty high end machines, unfortunately, or the manual lever ones. Yeah, and, and that's tricky. That one is a lot more art than it is. I've heard. Science. I, yeah. 
you need a GS3. <laughs> yeah. You need a manual paddle. Yeah, that's, G- and GS3. that's the one I have my eye on. <laughs> <laughs> Which unfortunately is it's a, a pretty pricey, <laughs> yeah, pretty pricey machine. Yeah. Yeah. The good news is on that, I will tell you, because I actually own one. Um, they hold their value. Basically, like it's it's a weird thing. It's there are certain products that do this where if you buy it, um, it'll basically be continue to be worth that much money. Yeah going it's, forward it's like specialty cars it is it's like a really nice porsche or something yeah yeah which by the way la marsoco has a really nice uh relationship with porsche no way that's <laughs> yeah. hilarious yeah they wow. actually create like machines together i mean it makes stuff. sense they're all they're all italian engineers that's so super cool yep wow that's yep. wild yep uh yeah so yeah the extraction profiles that's so crazy so you just kind of trial and error until you get the the flavor profile that you're looking for mm-hmm. out of that particular bean that's right and how does that sort of match up with what you taste when you do the, um, I forgot what you call it when you're testing the beans. Um, a, a cupping is what yeah, we call it. Yeah, the cupping. How, how does that flavor profile kind of relate? <clears throat> I would say that we as a team have to like learn the correlation. It, there's a really big difference between the way that it tastes when it's brewed yeah. versus when we're pulling it as espresso. Um, but if you do enough tasting, you can kind of start to understand like, okay, if it's like this on the cupping table, here's how it's going to show up on bar. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, and then, and then to be honest, a lot of times we'll just like, if we're in the middle of cupping and we're like, okay, I'm, I wonder what this is going to, is doing. We'll just go out on bar and, and ask one of our baristas to pull a shot for us and then we'll come back. Oh, that's cool. Play around. Yeah. Yeah. Totally makes sense. Yeah. Um, well, I think that concludes all of the main questions I have for now, but, um, man, I so appreciate this. This has been really fun. Such an honor. Yeah. Thank you very much. I've really enjoyed the conversation. This is so much fun. And, uh, your, your wealth of knowledge. I've been doing it for a little while and I really like it. So, Thank you for listening to this episode of the Rogue Creators Podcast. To support this podcast, please rate five stars, leave a review, subscribe, and tell your friends and family about it.